This is the Beer We Go podcast. I'm your host, John Williams. In this podcast, we're going to discuss the industry that was eliminated and recreated by two constitutional amendments, exploring how Louisiana regulations on the beverage alcohol industry benefit consumers from public safety to consumer choice. Today, We'll explore the foundation of the whole beverage alcohol industry in Louisiana with a background and explanation of the Tide House laws. But first, I want to play a clip for you, set the stage kind of for the conversation regarding Tide House laws. Listen close to the interesting piece from the Louisiana Beverage Alcohol Industry video. Listen up, I think you're going to like it. Prior to Prohibition, the regulation of alcohol was loose or non-existent, and widespread overconsumption led to public drunkenness, domestic violence, and poverty. So in 1919, Congress passed the 18th Amendment, commonly known as Prohibition, which banned the manufacture and sale of beverage alcohol. Prohibition went into effect January 16, 1920, and ended December 1933. Prohibition supporters believed that simply outlawing alcohol would solve the problems associated with it. But they couldn't have been more wrong. Americans weren't ready to give up their right to drink, so they went about it in secret. And organized crime quickly stepped in to meet the demand for alcohol. By the early 1930s, even former supporters of Prohibition were publicly admitting its failure. As industrialist John D. Rockefeller Jr. put it, Drinking has generally increased. The speakeasy has replaced the saloon. A vast army of lawbreakers has appeared. Many of our best citizens have openly ignored prohibition. Respect for the law has been greatly lessened, and crime has increased to a level never seen before. Rockefeller realized that a government ban on alcohol would never prevent consumption. Instead, he believed that temperance, or moderate consumption, was the best approach. In 1933, he commissioned researchers Raymond Fosdick and Albert Scott to study the issue. Fosdick and Scott made several key observations and recommendations. First, alcohol isn't like other products. It's an intoxicant, and even though moderate consumption can have health and social benefits, overconsumption is dangerous to both the health of the drinker and to society at large. They also concluded that local state-based regulations could effectively limit the problems associated with overconsumption. The researchers wrote, If the new system is not rooted in what the people of each state sincerely desire at this moment, it makes no difference how logical and complete it may appear as a statute. It cannot succeed. Finally, Fosdick and Scott warned of the dangers of tied house arrangements, or vertically integrated operations, where the manufacturer controls the retailer, or where a supplier-distributor induces a retailer to push its product with something of value, like volume discounts or free equipment. Prior to Prohibition, when the manufacturer owned or in some way controlled the retailer, the manufacturer dictated the amount and brand of products the retailer sold. This created a high-volume, low-margin marketplace, forcing retailers to sell more alcohol at rock-bottom prices. And the consumer was left with little selection, lower-grade products, and the means to overindulge. It's this critical connection between tied house arrangements and overconsumption that led directly to a new approach to beverage alcohol regulation. Okay, that was a piece covering the Tide House Laws from the Louisiana Beverage Alcohol History and Policy video. You can check out the entire video on our website, beerleague.com. We're excited because our guest here is Jay Decody with BiteAndBooze.com. Jay's a great guy. He's a professional tailgater. 
He writes for a living. He eats and drinks for a living all the way across our state. He even has his own radio show. He even has his own line of barbecue sauce, barbecue rubs, and now has his own line of wine that's made right here in Louisiana. We're gonna talk Tidehouse Laws and how it sets the beverage alcohol industry apart from any other industry. Jay Ducote, biteandbooze.com. Tidehouse Laws, what it means to you, coming right up on Beer We Go. We're back here with Beer We Go. I'm your host, John Williams, with our guest, Jay Ducote from Bite & Booze. Jay, good to be here. Good to have you here with us. Thanks good to for, see you, John. Thanks for coming by and visiting with us. Always a pleasure to stop by the Beer League offices, <laughs> yeah. have a beer with you. Congratulations on all your success, too. Thank you, sir. Man, it's been a, it's been a wild ride. Lots of crazy things in the Bite & Booze world. Yeah, it really is. I, I keep up with you, and uh, I know you're always on the run. So I just wanted to have you over to visit about a couple of things, and maybe we'd talk about some of the things that are happening within the industry and maybe some of the regulations that uh, we experience in our industry, and you can give us some insight from uh, from your take on things. For sure. It's a great time to be a beer drinker, a great time to be supporting uh, local beer, and, of course, following the industry and everything that you guys do and, and everything from the, the manufacturer to the distributor and, and uh, wholesaler all the way to the retailer and, and and then, of course, the end consumer. Um, it's kind of what I do. So you do it. Ha- you happy do it, to help. And you do it well, I must say. Hey, Jay, we just list, listened to a piece from the Louisiana Beverage Alcohol History and Policy video, specifically talking about the Tide House arrangements and rules and prohibitions that uh, our industry experienced uh, way back in after Prohibition. Just wanted to ask you your take on Tide House regulations and, and the rules that we have to follow based on that and what it means to you and the, the industry as a whole. Well, you know, the the... Tide House, uh, as it is, that that idea that the retailer is tied to the manufacturer is something that I'm really glad we don't have much of in America. And I think a lot of that is because of the three tier system that was put in after Prohibition. And you can trace it back to that. You know, if you go to Europe, uh, every bar there has uh, umbrellas outside with some beer brand, and then right. you walk inside and you know exactly what beer brand they're going to carry because it's a Tide House. There, that retailer is tied to a brewer. It's tied to an alcohol manufacturer and here you know certainly in louisiana because of regulations that are there maybe sometimes people think it's bad in a lot of ways i think it has a lot of underlying good because you know you don't see any breweries with umbrellas outside of bars here Uh, but also you know you can walk into those bars you can walk into those restaurants and find a variety of beers from all over the state from all over the country and in fact from all over the world because that retailer is not tied to one certain manufacturer right and, 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 you know, you've said it in the past, I've heard you mention it before, the beer boom is happening right here in our country. And it's, it's an amazing opportunity to go in and uh, a bar or a restaurant and have the consumer choice. And, uh, yeah, and, and so the consumer choice is one of the things that, that I'm most fascinated by and one of the things that I love the most. I'm, I, and this was in one of our videos as well, but I'm a promiscuous drinker. You right. know, I, right. I go somewhere, and if I'm going to drink four beers, I want to drink four different beers when right. I go to a bar, not the same beer four times. And so having that consumer choice helps with that. Whereas, and I think maybe this is the best example, John, if you go to any restaurant, any bar, um, and you ask for a soft drink, uh, you know, they're either going to have Coke right. or they're going to have Pepsi. True. They're not going to have anything else because those two big companies have saturated the market and have essentially created not quite a monopoly because there's two of them, but a duopoly. It's, it's either Coke or Pepsi. That's right. And if it's a Coke restaurant, there is no Pepsi. And if it's a Pepsi restaurant, 
at least in Louisiana, we get mad and we say, why are you a Pepsi restaurant? Because no one here likes Pepsi. But still, <laughs> they don't have so Coke. True. They don't have Coke. And then you get mad about it, right? But but imagine that being the case of, of every bar you went into was either a Bud Bar or a Miller Bar. And they didn't have choices other than that. We wouldn't like it as much. We wouldn't. We and, want the variety. And we can really point back to coming out of the days of Prohibition and the repeal of Prohibition and acknowledge that these Tide House laws have, are, are the reason why, why we have that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you look at, like you said, you look at what happens overseas. You want a Heineken, you got to go two blocks down to the Heineken bar. You want a Guinness, you go one block down <laughs> further right. up to the right. Guinness bar. And, and we actually have that privilege. Jay, you've actually identified something in the past, which is the fourth tier. Uh, we always hear about the three-tier system. And, and I think the three-tier system was developed based on the Tide House laws, on giving something of value and prohibiting. We have a lot of exceptions for that, but it's sure. generally exceptions that still create a level playing field for every ind industry uh, member out there without creating exceptions specific to one group. But uh, you've identified the fourth tier of the industry, and uh, that's what I find amazing, too, is that the consumer, the consumer's the fourth yeah. tier. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Well, the, the consumer, I feel like, is is who's winning, at least in, in the beer-drinking world True. in America today. Um, the consumer has more options than we ever have before, and it's, it's because that three-tier system has set up uh, a system where the small brewers can succeed. They can get to market. Um, they can find a home and consumers that are really kind of out there demanding variety and different beers and different styles and different flavors and different local craft brewers. Right. They're, they're getting to experience that. So, you know, the three tier system as it's always referred to is, mm -hmm. is a manufacturer uh, and then a distributor or wholesaler and then a retailer, whether that's a, a grocery store or a liquor store, or a convenience store or a, a bar or restaurant, but a retailer, Taylor. Right. But that fourth tier, you know, is the consumer. It's the person drinking the beer. And you can have somebody making beer and you can have somebody distributing beer and you can have somebody selling beer. But if there's not somebody at the end to buy and drink the beer to have that whole system start over That's again, right. the, then you really aren't going anywhere. And so by all means, a lot of this is based off of supply and demand. And, and it's, it's the demand that the consumer has for a variety of beer that is helping that supply happen. But also that regulatory system that's set up has been instrumental in that. And I don't know, John, if, if you look back historically and, and you look at the repeal of prohibition and trying to get away from any sort of tied house, I don't know if they were thinking, no, this is going to be great for consumer choice. Right. I don't think they were thinking that at the time. They were thinking, let's find a way to not have people get overly intoxicated. And you know what the problem was? It was about public safety. If, if the brewer owns, essentially, owns and operates the retailer, and there's no tier in the middle to help regulate that, then they can start selling beers for a, a nickel apiece, back then anyway. Now right. maybe it would be 75 cents or a right. dollar apiece. But if, if I can drink for a dollar a beer, I'm going to drink a lot more beer. No, that's and so having that mechanism there, that that separation between who's making the alcohol and who's selling the alcohol, um, has has created an environment where uh, we see a lot of things flourishing that we probably wouldn't have even thought of back then. We always hear about unintended consequences, but this is what I would consider unintended benefits. I mean, really, it gives everybody a level playing field, and the consumer is ultimately the winner. Yeah. I know that the primary focus. Uh, coming out of prohibition was on public safety, 
an orderly marketplace, but it's provided so much more than that. And, I, and it's evolved. I mean, we, we all know that. It didn't happen overnight uh, after the uh, prohibition was repealed. It evolved over the course of 15, 20 years, and then up to now, today, right. it's still evolving, it's still and it's evolving and providing more opportunities for small craft breweries, uh, small distilleries to get to market. And of course, like you said, bottom line is consumers winning, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's a great opportunity for a lot of people. Uh, we have about 30 new breweries in Louisiana o over the past eight years. They're all doing well. Um, they're all experiencing uh, learning a new industry, which is great. We're trying to do everything we can to help them through the process, and uh, we obviously wish them well. I know you're working with them. You've done some yep. trails with them as well. Absolutely. So it's uh, it's been beneficial to to the economy and to to uh, to the industry as a whole. Yeah, it's it's fun to watch the success of Louisiana brewers for for a long time, and still um, really on a, a per capita basis. No, the, the number of breweries per capita were still fairly low in Louisiana, but we've seen in the last couple of years uh, really a skyrocketing of yeah. the number of brewers that have been open. Uh, if you go back 30 years, it was just a beta, you know, right. and, and they were a baby back then. Right. Um, and, and it seems like really kind of right after Katrina, and so that's really... 12 years ago um, when NOLA Brewing started up in New Orleans uh, and there were a few other ones that came along around the same time, Tin Roof here in Baton Rouge, Parrish and uh, Bayou Tesh in Acadiana, right. Covington on the North Shore, uh, th that was Heiner Brow before that and, and, and you know there were a few popping up and then here in the last couple of years, like you said, there's there's 30 plus now yeah. and uh, and more on the way and, more on the and, way. and so we're seeing uh, we're seeing a boom uh, that consumer choice is certainly there but but John I'll I'll say this I think we're starting to get to the point where there's enough breweries to to fill the need of drinking locally and it's really going to start turning back to quality yeah. Are you may sure you're brewing local beer, but are you brewing it well enough for me to want to drink it all the time? It's going to have to be a quality product. Yeah, and and I so agree. it's 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 not just going to be where are you brewing it and how local is it, but it's also going to be is it good and is it worth spending my money on that beer? Um, but we are seeing that that hyper local mentality, you know. When yep. and, and I I deal with this when I travel a lot. If I'm if I'm going say to Nashville, I want to drink a beer that's brewed in Nashville, sure, not just a beer that's brewed in Tennessee or not just a beer that's brewed in the Southeast United States. I want to drink a beer that's brewed in Nashville. Right. And if I go to Lake Charles, I'll drink a Lake Charles beer. If I'm in New Orleans, I'll drink a New Orleans beer. And that that's sort of hyper local is is really fascinating right now because you're seeing breweries pop up and they really have to have to be able to control their home market and have the distribution in place in their home market and have that that fan base in their home market before they can ever think about going somewhere else because you might be able to sell a lot of beer in baton rouge but to think that you're going to go to new orleans and sell a lot of beer not necessarily you're absolutely right and that's and look that's why i wanted to sit down and have a discussion about the tide house laws how it provides great opportunities opportunities but you know at the end of the day you're gonna have to brew some good beer yeah and you have to get out there and organically grow your business yep. i mean that's as is, is in any business you're gonna it, there's gonna be tough times but uh this is a great opportunity for them um digesting and, and understanding dissecting the the regulations and what they do for the industry is a real an amazing thing i know you've been a great uh steward of promoting the industry and, and helping it in a healthy industry which is important to, to us that's uh, right because that's that's always a danger so it because it goes right back to the the public safety component and that's yeah. what it was intended to do so jay thanks for being here with us i hope to have you back sometime real sure. soon um 
and we want to make sure that we tell everybody to go see uh, Jay's website, listen to his radio show. If you want to give a plug, uh, sure. biteandbooze.com, and your radio yeah. show is yeah. on Saturdays. The Bite and Booze radio show is Saturdays, 5 to 7 p.m. Replays Sundays, 7 to 9 p.m. on Talk 107.3 FM in Baton Rouge. Uh, you can find the podcasts on biteandbooze.com or on SoundCloud, where you are as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, Bite and Booze on there as well. Uh, and then also jdecody.com is where you can find me and all my, my product line, barbecue sauce, all that good what, stuff. Yeah, what about some of the places that are carrying your rubs and your barbecue sauce? And sauces? my wine. I work and with your Jeff wine. Landry and Landry Vineyards up they there, just, Louisiana wine. That was great. Uh, Rouse's just picked up the wine and the barbecue rub. Right. They've had the uh, they've had the barbecue sauce and molasses mustard for a while. Um, all, most of your local stores around Baton Rouge that you would think of, uh, Calandro's, Mathern's, Alexander's Good. Highland Market, Bed R, Red Stick Spice Company, those are all great supporters of mine. Good. Yeah, we'll be sure to get out and try some of your rubs and barbecue sauces. And I tried your wine recently, yeah. uh, and it's do doing really well. I talked to Jeff a couple weeks ago. He said awesome. you were doing really well. So congratulations on all your success. Thank there. you very much. Social media as well, one of the best ways to stay in touch. Bite and Booze on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Also, Jay Dakota on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks, Jay. I appreciate you being here. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay, I want to thank Jay Ducote with BiteandBooze.com for hanging out with us today, talking about consumer choice and uh, telling us how he's the promiscuous drinker and explaining who the fourth tier of the industry is. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate you being with us. Got some exciting content coming up on the Beer We Go podcast. Be sure to subscribe to catch new episodes. Until then, remember, moderation and celebration go hand in hand.